0: Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. This week, our speaker is Brent Trask, and Brent serves as our district superintendent here in the Western Canadian District, and he works alongside the Alliance churches and pastors here in Alberta, and so we're excited to have him joining with us this weekend. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint You can find a link to our viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, we'd love to hear from you. You can find an online connection card at the bottom of that viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. And additionally, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now, today, no matter how you're joining with us, may your hearts be open and expectant. Because God is here and Jesus invites each of us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together.
1: Well, hello, Southview family and those joining us online. Welcome to you as well. I bring you uh, greetings as your superintendent, and uh, what a blessing it is to be here. What a delight. I celebrate today uh, your faithfulness to God over the years, and particularly through these last two years, and I celebrate God's faithfulness to you in the midst of what's been uh, a significant time in the body of Christ worldwide, and you are still here. We are still the people of God. Uh, The light... Of our Father in Heaven continues to shine on us and through us, uh, not only to the communities where we live, but to the nations. It's a pleasure to be here today to also bring you greetings this weekend on behalf of uh, your Alliance brothers and sisters across Alberta. You might not recognize that there's about a hundred thousand people worshiping in Alliance churches, gathered in 140 congregations, worshiping in 10 languages this weekend, united as Christ-centered, spirit-empowered. Mission focused people multiplying disciples everywhere. Greetings. I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want to begin this weekend by reciting the Lord's Prayer together. And if you're at home and here in the property at Southview today, I ask if you would stand with me as we pray the Lord's Prayer. And I believe it's on the screen for us to follow along together. And so let's pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this prayer has been central to the Christian faith for 2,000 years. And you will notice that it's a prayer that Jesus prayed, and he prayed this prayer as an example prayer to teach his followers, his disciples, how to pray. And in this prayer, we see that Jesus is focused on the kingdom of God, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what is the kingdom of God? Well, according to this simple prayer of Jesus, it's experiencing heaven on earth. And we always hear people talking about, oh, it was like heaven on earth. But Jesus actually prayed that that would happen, that there are windows in heaven and something of the substance of heaven would spill out here on earth. And there, that's the kingdom of God. As James Payton, a pastor at First Alliance says, he says, the kingdom of God is changing the world that is into the world as it ought to be. That's pretty good, hey? Changing the world that is all around us into the world as it ought to be. Changing the Brent that is into the Brent as he ought to be. Changing the local church that is into the local church as it ought to be. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth like it is in heaven. This is the burning passion of Jesus' life, that as many people as possible would choose to live their lives under the benevolent, righteous rule and reign of God and thereby experience a taste of heaven, a world of light rather than darkness, of goodness rather than evil, of contentment instead of envy, trading peace, you know, our anxiety for peace, right living rather than sin. Forgiveness, not guilt and shame anymore. Love, not hate. Connectedness and belonging and no more loneliness and rejection. And Jesus' vision, as we tracked with him in prayer, but also all throughout his biographies in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, his vision was for this to become commonplace for all people everywhere in all centuries. In fact, as Jesus bursts onto the scene, his first recorded words in the Gospel of Mark, his first sermon are these words. Mark one fifteen. the time has come, he said, and the kingdom of God has come near, has come to earth, so repent and believe the good news. Now, there's an old word for us, repent, repent, what is that religious thing? Repent, oh, friends, repent is a very simple concept, and we might sometimes think that it's an awful thing, but repentance simply means to change your mind. It's a compound word. It means to change your mind, to change your direction. We do it all the time. I do it all the time when I'm driving, when I'm not listening to Siri. I repent. I change my mind, and I go on another direction. And Jesus is really saying in his first sermon, it's kind of like a sale announcement at Walmart. Hello, shoppers. We've been promising this product for years, and at last the time is now here. Here. The kingdom of God is within your reach, so reorganize your life and do whatever is necessary to get in on this deal. Don't miss out. Repent. Change your mind. Change your direction. Get in on the kingdom of God. Jesus was kingdom focused. And we are followers of Jesus who is obsessed with the kingdom of God. What might that mean for us as followers? One of Jesus' favorite ways to teach about the kingdom of God was through telling stories. And these days we're looking at the stories of Jesus, often called parables, and this weekend we're looking at two of them, and I'd like to read together two of these short parables, short stories, found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 26 to 32. And if you could find your place in the scriptures, virtually or physically, And join me for the reading of God's word. And friends, I remind you, this is the word of the Lord. Two stories from the mouth of Jesus. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day. And whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. And all by itself, the soil produces Grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. A second story. Again, he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? Well, it's like a mustard seed which is the smallest seed that you plant in the ground. And yet, when planted, it grows and grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can come and perch in its shade. Two stories about the kingdom of God. Now, the thing about parables is that every parable tells a story, contains a lesson, and calls for a response. Always those three things. So this month, as we're into the parables of Jesus, we remember that. A story will be told, a lesson or lessons will be contained within the story, and Jesus always uses his parables to call for response. And so we'll follow that pattern today. Jesus told stories that people could relate to, which is why in the first century that he chose to talk about agriculture, because people live close to the earth. And the first story about agriculture here is about a farmer, A certain type of farmer, a farmer that can't take credit for his own success. And it's not that he's not, you know, unskilled at farming or that he goes about farming in some wrong ways. It's not that he doesn't work hard. Jesus is just drawing attention to the fact that every farmer is aware of and every farmer is in awe of, that every farmer actually is anxious of, and that is that I myself cannot make my crops grow. I can do all the right things, but in the end, I can't make them grow. So in this story, Jesus emphasizes that the best part of farming actually happens while the farmer is asleep. That while he's waiting and while he's doing nothing and resting at night, that's when the seed sprouts up and grows. And he emphasizes that the farmer doesn't understand how this happens, but that doesn't seem to matter to him. It doesn't distract or dissuade him one bit from his farming job. When the crop is ripe, he goes out and he harvests it and he begins to celebrate. Look, look what came from the land. Now, what might this tell us about the kingdom of God? I wonder if it might say something to us about who's ultimately in charge here on earth. I mean, the farmer buys the land, prepares the soil, plants the seed, but he's not in control of the outcome of the fruit. And I have an issue with that one because maybe you're like me, but when things are going well, I have a tendency to take too much credit. And when things aren't going too too well... I have a tendency to take too much blame or responsibility. But what's difficult for me is to simply do what I do and then wait on God for the results and not moralize over my worth or fret about the fruitfulness or lack thereof or wonder what others might think of me. And I want to be in control of all that, but like the farmer, I'm not. God is in control. And if God is truly in charge, if he really is a king with a kingdom, then then it changes everything. That's what the point of the story is. That maybe this little parable is just saying that the kingdom of God really is the kingdom of God. (laughs) That it belongs to him, that he's in charge of it. Uh, Almost 500 years ago to the day, there was a pastor named Martin Luther. You ever heard of, of him? Martin Luther. And here's what he said. He said, I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends, the word of God did everything. I did nothing. Now probably worship pastors like Pastor Brett Ashton can identify most with this because it says, as the pastor said here, I drank with my friends. And we all know that senior pastors drink alone. So it's only the worship pastors that would understand that. But Martin Luther has a trust in God. And he's convinced that the church has a future because Jesus Christ has a future. And it wasn't that he sat around drinking beer all the time and that he didn't work very hard. He actually worked too hard to his health's detriment. But it does mean that finally the growth of the church, the growth of the company of God's people here on earth is in God's hands. And it has to do with the mystery of the Word and the Spirit as active forces working on their own timeline. How might it, friends, change our well-being to truly understand that God is in charge and that we aren't? Can you sigh with me? (laughs) Like, how might it actually change your week to know that what you do is important, but ultimately the crop is up to God? How might it change your life to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, here on earth in my life as it is in heaven? So it's a parable of humility, but it's also a parable of freedom to be able to live your life and serve God with the freedom of knowing that in the end it's in God's hands. And friends, that is very good news. Because whatever I do, however I might fall short, uh, there is one who loves me so much that he lived and died for me. And then goes on to call me to follow him with the freedom of knowing that he's in control. Night and day, whether I sleep or get up, he's producing a harvest from my life and I don't have to know how he is doing that. Because at some point, when the Holy Spirit illumines a person's soul, the seeds of the gospel that have been planted there will begin to grow. This is the kingdom of God, or what we might call a kingdom of hope, that God is in control of his kingdom. The second parable also tells an earthy agricultural story. And it's a story about a garden that gets dominated by a little, weak, seemingly insignificant seed. It starts small and it ends up huge. In fact, it overruns the garden and ends up being the source of food and shelter for all the birds in the neighborhood, and that little seed was a mustard seed. Jesus also used mustard seed elsewhere in the scriptures to talk about faith, how even though our faith might be small, and we are small, big things can happen through our lives when we put our trust in God, because even a little bit of faith moved, uh, placed in the mighty hand of God is very powerful. And that's part of the point here, too, is have faith and don't despise small beginnings. For the smallness of our beginning only serves to better better illustrate the greatness of our king. But the kingdom of God does come. It comes quietly, simply, almost unnoticeably. But in time, it overtakes the whole garden of your world. Why would Jesus use the mustard seed for this illustration? There's actually smaller seeds in Israel. The orchard seed, for instance, is smaller than a mustard seed. And there's also a lot bigger trees than a mustard bush at full maturity. But maybe he used the mustard seed simply because it was so common in Jesus' day, so common that it was considered a weed in Palestine where Jesus traveled with his disciples. And as often was Jesus' way, whatever was at hand, he turned it into a story. As he passed by yet another mustard butch, he, he makes a story out of it. And I can imagine Jesus seeing this and picking off some seeds and using them to, to teach about the kingdom of God. So why a mustard seed? Well, maybe he was just making a point with whatever was available. But maybe it was more intentional than that. Because Jesus understood the Old Testament very well. And there's a prophet named Ezekiel that in Ezekiel 31 writes about a grand nation called Assyria being like a giant cedar tree, a noble, majestic tree that dwarfs all others. And Ezekiel uses this tree, the image of birds and beasts of the forest and nations coming to it to live in the branches under the canopy of its shade. It would be such a glorious kingdom. And now Jesus is talking about birds living in a bush in the shade of a mustard a mustard bush could it be a coincidence maybe but maybe there was an intentional comparison in the storyteller's mind the cedar tree grows about 10 stories tall and the mustard bush grows about 10 feet tall the cedar flourishes in the mountains of lebanon it doesn't even grow in israel while the mustard is like a common weed in israel And if we had to put it in local terms, we might make the comparison between the giant redwoods on Vancouver Island and the dandelions that grow in our own yards. Which is more like the kingdom of God? The cedar or the mustard seed? Which is more like the power of God or the rule of God? The great redwood tree would be a fitting symbol for God's mighty power. Uh, The cedar tree can live for 600 years. It can grow as tall as 130 feet. They can get big enough that you could cut a hole in it and drive a Honda Accord through it. This would be a a very fitting, magnificent uh, part of God's creation to say that, well, that's what the kingdom of God is like. And yet in contrast to that, Jesus chooses to say that the kingdom of God is like a little mustard seed, a little plant, a common, ordinary bush that seems to grow everywhere like dandelions on the prairies. Why did he do that? When we go through life saying the rule of God, I don't see it. If God's in charge, where is he? I see war and poverty and cancer and economic chaos and senseless tragedies. Perhaps, though, friends, we're looking in all the wrong places for God and his kingdom. We're busy staring up into the sky for for tall trees instead of looking at the simple evidence that is lower to the ground all around us, the grassroots evidence of the kingdom of God, those small outposts of heaven. That are establishing root and sending up shoots in classrooms, in offices, in food programs, and refugee care, and homeless shelters, and hospices, and alpha programs, and sports teams, and families, and yes, even in local churches. That undefeatable seed of God that very quietly but surely is emerging into something visible. In life after life after life, God is at work in your life. He is at work in your family members' lives, sometimes in ways like a seed where you can't see what's happening underneath the soil. So what does it mean that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed? Could it mean possibly that God's kingdom is like a weed (laughs) popping up where you least expect it. Maybe you don't even want it there, but it never gives up. It struggles to grow even in the cracks on your driveway all around us, not just in the mighty redwoods far away in Vancouver Island, but right here, right now in Calgary, in the little things of everyday life. Could it be that the kingdom of God is completely beyond control? It's out of control where you dig it up over here and it sprouts up over there. You're trying to get rid of it. It's in your neighbor's yard. Pretty soon it's in your yard too. And whatever you do to defeat it or ignore it or reject it, it just keeps on showing up somewhere, if not in your yard, somewhere else. Friends, if the kingdom of God is this pervasive and that persistent, that could be really good news. Really good news. Because as much as I may stumble as an individual follower, as much as my loved ones might not be following God right now, As much as our church may be going through a season of struggling, as much as people may be closing their ears to the gospel, I won't listen, I won't listen. As much as my little world might be wonky and our big world be a mess, I give thanks to the God of small beginnings and huge endings. Amen? I give thanks for a God who is in control around us all the time, in every way. Even when we're fighting against him, he's in control. Just like a farmer who can't take credit for his own success. Just like a garden that gets dominated by a little weak, seemingly insignificant seed. So that's the stories. What are the lessons? One lesson. I think the lesson in these two stories about the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God is an irrepressible, forceful mystery. Irrepressible and forceful mystery. Somehow, every dormant seed contains the power of life within it. And nobody, including today's scientists, researching the molecular mechanisms in the process can quite understand exactly why or when some seeds germinate while others don't, but they do. And so the farmer just keeps on planting. They do what they can with the knowledge that we do have, but they just keep on planting. It doesn't mean that we understand exactly everything that's going on. And somehow, within about an hour of being sown, the utter husk of the seed begins to swell because it's drawing moisture from the soil. Within 10 hours, the chemical makeup of the seed begins to change. Often in less than 24 hours, the seed begins to send a tiny root downward and the beginning of a stalk upward. It's also a mystery of how God works in a person's heart when the seed of the gospel gets planted there. How does that seed begin to germinate? Sometimes it happens in minutes and hours. Sometimes it lay, lays there inert for years. It may take months. It may take decades. But somehow, friends, there is life within that seed, and it will begin to grow and bear fruit at some point. It will multiply like the mustard seed, and then you'll turn in, it'll turn into something that you never thought that you would see. And this has happened with friend after friend after friend. So many acquaintances that you have, family members that you have, that you thought, oh, that that person will never, the, the seed of the kingdom of God will never penetrate their hearts, but it has. I suppose we could stop there. Good story, good lesson. Let's get on with our lives and move on to the weekend. But remember, Jesus told the parable to tell a story, to give a lesson, and to call for a response. So what response would Jesus be calling for? What does he want us to do? I think there could be a couple of responses here. One is around this word, repent. Repent. Back from Mark chapter 1, verse 15, where Jesus says, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And some of you, within the listening of my voice, the hearing of my voice, would say, you would self-identify as somebody who has never repented. And friends, I would say today is a great day to repent. Today is a great day to change your mind about your heavenly Father, our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Is he your Father? You could repent of living without relationship with your Father and change your mind and change your direction. You could accept that what the Father says about you is true, that you're made in my image, That you belong here on the planet, and I have a plan for your life. And that the sin in your life is a barrier between you and the people and the resources around you, but it's also a barrier between you and your Heavenly Father. Sin always destroys relationships. And so we could repent and accept that what God says about us is true. We could then cast our belief on Jesus Christ, the provision of God, that Jesus sent his son to suffer and die for our sins so that our sins no longer would be a barrier in relationship between daughter and father, son and father. We could embrace and believe in Jesus Christ. And then, friends, we could move forward and receive the good news. Step into the kingdom and ask for God to change the brent that is into the brent as he ought to be. Ask God to manifest the stuff of heaven in my life, in my home, in my neighborhood, in my workplace, through my life. Make me an outpost of mission. Make me into a farmer. Start first by placing your seed in me and let the kingdom of God grow in me and then grow through me. That's one response. Have you repented? Have you changed your mind about the goodness of God, about how glorious the kingdom is, how you actually belong in the kingdom of God, but you've been on the outside of the kingdom of God? Come, join the kingdom, the family of God. His purposes here on earth as he has purposes in heaven. There's a second response, and that is to sow God's seed. Sow God's seed far and wide and trust God to do his thing. You know, he wants us to do some farming, to cultivate our relationships and plant the seed of the gospel of his love and life and truth on as many hearts as we can. Jesus was obsessed on this. He calls us to be obsessed with this as well. Imagine if you knew two years ago what was going to happen in the Calgary Calgary housing market. What would have you done? You would have said to everybody, buy now, buy now, buy now, right, two years ago? Our tendency at the moment that we're about to sow the seed of God is to pull back. It's to hesitate, it's to doubt. And we lose courage and we want to be polite, you know, live and let live the Canadian way. And I did this last weekend. So in case you think I'm holier than thou, I'm not. I'm like thou. (laughs) I did this last weekend. I was in conversation with an unbeliever uh, who was in the hospital and suffering with some severe health challenges, and the Holy Spirit was telling me to pray with them, and I didn't. Of course, afterwards, I sent them an email to say that I was praying, because that's the way that weasels work. But my friend Nick, he didn't chicken out. A few weeks ago, Nick was out in Canmore, on a leadership retreat with a brand new church that our family of churches has just started here in East Calgary called Capstone East. And uh, the leadership team went out to, to pray and to ask God for direction, and they took a break from their, their uh, leadership gathering to go down to the hot tub, a very spiritual thing to do on their directional retreat. And as they got down there, there were people in the pool and people in the tub, but little by little, everybody was clearing out except for four middle-aged Korean women And only one of them spoke English well. So now you've got five men from a church plant and four middle-aged Korean women with one English-speaking woman. And the one lady was complaining of shoulder and neck injury causing her pain for the last six years. And one of these guys from the church plant said, you know what, we believe that there is a God who heals. Would you allow us to pray for you? So they prayed, awkwardly, prayed for this woman in the hot tub And instantly, she was healed, and she began shrugging her shoulders and was completely enlivened by this experience, and one of the guys said to her, what God just did for your shoulder, he is willing to do for your entire body inside. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and receive the good news. So he asked her, would you like to receive this good news on the inside of your life? And one by one, Four middle-aged Korean women came to Christ in the holy hot tub of Canmore about three weeks ago. My friend Kamal didn't chicken out. She was in Sylvan Lake last week, and uh, while she was at the restaurant eating her meal, the Lord placed on her heart two of the servers. She went and shared her faith with them. They gave their lives to Christ. Afterwards she went bowling in Sylvan Lake, and they were bowling, and she was looking around, and two other people were placed on her heart. She went back and talked to them and struck up conversation with them, shared the seeds of the gospel, and they repented and embraced the good news of Jesus Christ and entered the kingdom of God. Nick and Kamel tilled the soil. The Holy Spirit began to move, and there was a mustard seed response. And I realize today that many of you might be sowing the seed with family and friends, and you're discouraged. But Jesus says, some night while you are sleeping, some day while you're off doing something else, and have all but forgotten about that seed, God will be at work, and he will be revealing the great mystery of new life. Therefore, be patient, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and the spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Let us embrace the King of Kings, whose passionate commitment it is to make his kingdom a reality here on earth. And let's relax, trusting that the world and our little world is going to be okay. Our Father, who is in heaven, praise be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in our lives as it is in heaven. Oh Lord, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we likewise forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and
2: the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, thank you, Brent. And uh, now we come to the table. And as we just heard a story uh, of the the kingdom, we come to the table of the kingdom. And uh, this table is a reminder of the good news. One of the responses we were encouraged to consider was to repent and believe. And this table reminds us of the good news that Jesus laid down his life so that we could have life And it's also an invitation to receive from Jesus as we consider going out and sowing his seed. We need spiritual food and nourishment to be able to do that task. And so as we come to the table, we're reminded that this bread represents Jesus' body, which was broken for us. And we're reminded that this cup represents his blood, which was poured out for us for forgiveness of sin. So I'm going to ask that you take that uh, um, communion, the elements with you. And uh, if you haven't opened it yet, just to do that and uh, you can hold on to this bread. And let me just pray before we take together. Father, we just invite you to feed us at this table as we turn our hearts to you and Uh, just continue to repent and believe in you, we acknowledge that, uh, Father, you sent your son, Jesus, to lay down his life so that we could have life. And as we come to the bread and come to the cup, we invite you to nourish us as we come to the table so that we can accomplish the task of sowing the seed and spreading the word. We pray this in your name. Amen. And so as you hold this bread and are reminded that this is Jesus' body broken for you, let's take and receive from him. And then take the cup. If you haven't peeled off that last layer, you can open the cup. And once we're all ready, just hold that cup and just be reminded that this cup represents Jesus' blood, which was poured out for forgiveness of sin, an entrance into his kingdom, the kingdom of God. Let's take together. Now I'm just going to ask that you stand for the benediction, and if it's a helpful response for you, you can open your hands in front of you in a spirit of receiving from God. Let me just speak this benediction over us as we uh, go out from here. So as you go out this evening, may you go in the riches of the kingdom of God. May God the Father strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. May you be rooted and grounded in love. May you have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. May you be filled with all the fullness of God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.